You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Easter is just two weeks away, and many of us are going to open up our Bibles in the next couple of weeks and read accounts of history that are recorded by the four gospel authors. And what we're going to read are, in fact, historically verifiable events that happened in and around the city of Jerusalem around 30 AD. And historians from outside the Bible have also recorded and verified that a man named Christus or Christ was crucified in the city of Jerusalem. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote in 115 AD that the founder of the Christian sect was Christus, who was executed under the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. So what we read in the Gospels is is not just some concocted story by four brainwashed followers of, of Jesus Christ. Now, this is history, verified history that deserves our careful consideration and respect. And the city of Jerusalem, where this execution took place, has had a long and important place in history. And if you read or watch the news today, you'll find that the city of Jerusalem still holds a precious place in the the hearts of people of faith right across the world, Jews, Christians, Muslims alike. And this morning I want to pose the question or ask the question why. Why does Jerusalem hold such a special place in our hearts as people of faith? So let's go back in time and let's go up to Jerusalem together to explore this question. And we're going to begin this morning as we read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. And this was the third time that Jesus predicts his death. Matthew writes, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. What a bold, amazing prediction of things to come. What sort of man could make those predictions, let alone have them all come true? Jesus said he would be put, in, put on trial in Jerusalem. He would be condemned to death, handed over to the Romans, mocked, flogged and crucified. But then on the third day, he'd be raised to life. And if you read on in Matthew's Gospels and also the other Gospels, you'll find that all of this happened just as Jesus predicted. But how did it all come to this? And why Jerusalem? Let's backtrack a little further. 
We know that Jerusalem had been dear to the heart of Jesus ever since he was a a young boy. When he was 12 years old, Jesus had made the annual trip up to Jerusalem with his parents, Mary and Joseph, for the Passover festival. And when Mary and Joseph uh, uh, finished at the Passover festival, they began to make their journey home to Nazareth, some 146 kilometres north up near the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus had stayed behind in the Jerusalem temple. When Mary and Joseph eventually cottoned on and found out he wasn't with them and, and doubled back, they found him and asked him where he'd been. Why weren't you with us? We've been worried sick about you. We've been looking everywhere for you. And Jesus' reply was one of bemusement that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 49. Jesus said, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? My father's house. There lies the clue to Jerusalem and the treasured place it has in the heart's of people of faith. Jesus Christ, a man of history who claimed to be the Son of God but also one with God himself, tells us that his father's house is in the Jerusalem temple. My father's house. The house where God himself condescended to dwell with humanity in Jerusalem. So how about you this morning, will you go up to Jerusalem in your heart and meet with God? The city of Jerusalem lies about 50 kilometres east of the Mediterranean Sea and 20 kilometres west of the Dead Sea and the, and the Jordan River. And it holds an elevation of about 8,000 metres or 2,500 feet above sea level on the western central ridge of Palestine. And the olden day city of Jerusalem covered or it consisted of a complex of five hills on an area of one square kilometre. So really quite small. It had few natural resources, but its location on the major north-south trade route made it a city of strategic, political and commercial influence. And the first mention in history of Jerusalem is recorded in the Bible when the patriarch Abraham honoured the Canaanite priest King Melchizedek after returning from his successful mission to rescue his nephew Lot who'd been captured by some of the surrounding kings. And we read in in Genesis, Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 to 20 of this. After Abram returned from defeating Kedor Laomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered 
your enemies into your hand. So Melchizedek was this king as well as priest of the city of Salem, which was on the southeast ridge of the Jerusalem hill complex. And adjoining it just to the north was the hill of Mount Moriah, where Abraham later was willing to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice about 2015 years before Christ. And from that time on, for the next 1,000 years, Jerusalem remained under the control of Canaanite Jebusite kings until it was captured by King David around 1003 BC. And we read of that in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 4 and 5. So the Israelites had come out of uh, captivity in Egypt, led by Moses, that come into the promised land, gradually taking the promised land under Joshua and a number of the judges. And now David comes to capture this city. In First Chronicles, we read, David and all the Israelites marched to Jerusalem, that is, Jebus. The Jebusites who lived there said to David, you'll not get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, that's Jerusalem, which is the city of David. And David then proceeded to make Jerusalem his own fortress, and it became known as the city of David. But King David's most significant act was to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, which made Jerusalem the dwelling place of God on earth. Because it was the Ark of the Covenant, the covenant between God and Israel, that symbolised the presence of God on earth. Because it was at the Ark of the Covenant that God would meet with men or mankind. God had instructed Moses how this was to happen. In Exodus Exodus chapter 25 in the Old Testament, verses 10 and verses 21 and 2, God said these things to Moses as they were making their journey out of Egypt and captivity into Canaan and the Promised Land. God said to Moses, Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, that's about four foot long, a cubit and a half wide, so that's about two foot wide, and a cubit and a half high, about two foot high. So it's this wooden box, about four foot by two foot by two foot. That's the ark. And God said to Moses then, place the cover on the top of the ark and put inside the ark, in the ark, the tablets of the covenant law. That's the the Ten Commandments that were written on the tablets of stone by the finger of God and, and given to Moses and the Israelites. Put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give to you. There above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, the cherubim are like winged angelic beings on either end of this box, there I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. And when Moses followed all of these commands and placed the ark inside the tabernacle, which is also called the tent of meeting, because it was there that God would meet with men. When Moses did this, it was then and there in the tabernacle, that tent, 
that God's glory descended to meet and dwell with mankind. We read in Exodus, again on the journey out of Egypt, on the Exodus, in chapter 40, verses 34 and 45, about this. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, or filled the tent. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. How would you have liked to have been there to see that? Wouldn't that have been a, a sight for sore eyes? The glory of God in this tent or in this tabernacle. And this glory of God then travelled with Moses and, and the Israelites on their journey out of Egypt all the way to the promised land of Canaan around 1500 years BC. And as we read before, 500 years later, King David brought this ark and the tabernacle tent into Jerusalem. But it was his son Solomon who built the temple in Jerusalem where God's glory again descended and was manifest to all of Israel at the dedication of the temple. As we read in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. At the dedication of the temple, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven again. What an amazing sight that would have been. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And also in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10 and 13 of the, the temple dedication, we also read about this glory of God coming to dwell with men. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So this temple in Jerusalem was where God was going to dwell with mankind forever. And the psalmist confirmed that Jerusalem was going to be the dwelling place of God in Zion. In Psalm 132, verses 13 and 14, the psalmist writes, For the Lord has chosen Zion, that's Jerusalem. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. Words inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this ancient city of Jerusalem came to represent the dwelling place of God with man. And it became a place required by the Israelites to visit three times every year to remember and celebrate the blessings of God, but also to seek the face of God, just as we do so this morning. And these blessings of God were symbolized by three festivals, the festival of Unleavened bread, which included the Passover, the festival of first fruits of harvest, and lastly, the festival of ingathering at the end of harvest. And these three annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem were festivals that came to represent the heart of one who would seek the presence and the blessings of God, the one who sought relationship with God. And this was a trip, these pilgrimages were a trip 
to seek the very presence of God. How exciting would that be? You know, last Thursday night, Melburnians were once again excited to be able to make the pilgrimage to the MCG after one and a half years. But that excitement was nothing compared to the excitement of the pilgrims to Jerusalem. The MCG might be the home of AFL football, but Jerusalem was the home of God. What a far greater sense of anticipation and excitement for the pilgrims to actually be visiting the dwelling place of God. What a privilege. And King David captured that joy of the pilgrims when he wrote in another psalm, 122, verse 1 to 4. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. Remember, it was just on one square kilometre, about just like a big block in Hillsville. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel or the commands or the laws given to Israel. The hope of every faithful Israelite was found in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where you could turn to when things got tough in times of trouble. When disaster loomed, getting to Jerusalem gave you hope of salvation and and refuge. Jerusalem represented the security and the salvation of God himself. It was where God himself dwelt with men and men could feel safe and secure in God's presence. It's a sentiment expressed again by the psalmist in Psalm chapter 9, verse 13, 14. In times of trouble, have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praise in the gates of daughter Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. In Jerusalem, one could feel safe in the arms of God. As a young boy, I remember running into my father's arms and feeling that nothing could hurt me, especially one of my siblings. <laughs> Dad will take care of me now. I'm safe. Dad will look after everything. What a blessing to know that Dad would keep me safe. I was a bit higher when I was in his arms, a bit out of reach. I hope you had a father like that too. Well, in Jerusalem, the Israelites felt safe and secure with God. The ultimate blessing of God was the security and salvation of God, represented by his dwelling in Jerusalem. But it was a dwelling made possible only by the removal of the sin of mankind. Because sin separates us from God and makes it impossible for us to come into God's presence. In fact, God won't allow us to come into his presence without the cleansing of our sin. It's only when our sin problem has been dealt with that we can come near to God 
into his presence and then God will allow it. The sin of Israel was first taken care of as they left Egypt by the the blood of the, the Passover lamb. And as Israel left Egypt and journeyed to the promised land of Canaan, sin was taken care of by the blood of animal sacrifices along the way, blood that was sprinkled on that Ark of the Covenant that we um, read about earlier, the Ark of the Covenant law. First in that tabernacle tent, but later in that temple of Jerusalem. With sin taken care of, God could dwell with his people. First in the Sinai wilderness, but now in Jerusalem. And now we read in Matthew's Gospel, 2,000 years after Abraham and 1,000 years after David and Solomon, that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And his purpose was to complete God's salvation, not just for Israel, but for all of mankind from every nation once and for all. A salvation that paid the price of the sin for each one of us. The Bible says all of us, without exception, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all got a sin problem that disqualifies us from seeing the glory of God and entering his presence. The Bible says that the wages of death is sin. Sorry, the wages of sin is death or separation from God, exclusion from God's dwelling place and his presence. But the Bible also says that the free gift of eternal life is available to each one of us who would come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus Christ's death on the cross outside of Jerusalem paid the price of our sin. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the reward of eternal life is to enjoy the blessings of God and the presence of God and live in his presence, to see God in all his glory. And the name given to describe this place where we will live in the eternal blessing and and presence of God is no coincidence. Do you know its name? Can you guess the name? The new Jerusalem. It was revealed to the Apostle John in a revelation from God and recorded in the last book of the Bible by the same name, this dwelling place where man will live with God in the presence of God, seeing him in all his glory. In Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children." I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you thirsty for God this morning? Are you seeking God and his presence? Do you long to be free from the guilt and burden of sin that keeps us separated from God? God's invitation to each one of us this morning is to go up to Jerusalem. Jesus went up to Jerusalem and was put to death crucified for your sin and mine. And Jesus has made a way for each one of us to come close to God this morning, into his very presence without blemish or spot from sin. If we would put our faith in Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed to pay the penalty or the price for our sin, then God is ready to cleanse us from our sin and welcome us into Jerusalem, his presence, but not the earthly Jerusalem that we see on that slide, where conflict continues to highlight the sin of men. Now, God invites us today to come to the new Jerusalem, kept in heaven and waiting to be revealed at the return of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. That's the promise that Jesus made from the throne of God to the Apostle John and recorded in the book of Revelation. It's the promise that Jesus makes to each one of us who comes to him in faith this morning. Is that the Jerusalem that you long for today? If it is, then make today the day that you go up to Jerusalem with Jesus. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for you and for me and for all who seek the face and the presence of God. As we close this morning, we're going to remember that, when, that Jesus went up to Jerusalem for our sake. He was put on trial. He was mocked, flogged and crucified to pay the price of our sin. And he told his disciples and his church to remember as we share this meal that we're going to partake in in a moment. Jesus told us to take the cup and the bread in remembrance of him, his blood that was poured out and his body that was broken for the forgiveness of sin. So just invite the welcome team to come forward now and 
invite you each to come forward and receive the elements. And then just return to your seat and uh, just sit quietly in reflection uh, while the emblems are being handed out. Just thinking of the price that Jesus paid so that you could dwell in the presence of God for eternity. So let's just come forward now. So Jesus went up to Jerusalem for us. He was put on trial. He was mocked. He was flogged. He was sentenced to death and executed by crucifixion for us to pay the penalty for our sin to be separated from God as he bore the weight of our sin and the penalty of our sin. So Jesus, we just thank you that you willingly did that for us. We thank you for your blood that covers a multitude of our sins. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you for the inheritance that we have. We thank you for the cleansing of our sin. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit to continue to renew us day by day. Help us to grow more into your likeness. Help us to be done with sin and help us to live by your Spirit and for your glory. Just thank you that you've given us an invitation to Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God with mankind. And we thank you that is an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us that will never perish, spoil, or fade. We thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you came to cleanse us from our sin and make us a holy people for yourself, to make us brothers and sisters in Christ, to take us into your family for all eternity. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's eat and drink together to remember what Jesus did for each one of us.